Did you get a haircut? I did. I got bangs. You've got beautiful little baby bangs. They I look mean, so nice. Thank you. It got snowed on, so they don't look as good as they did this morning. But, you know, with the shutdown, and I was like, I might come back in tomorrow. I'm just going to do bangs for now, but I might want the Mad Max haircut tomorrow, depending <laughs> on what happens. And my lovely hairdresser guy, Chadwick, was like, I get it. It's going to be a fight for resources. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude. It is going to be a fight for resources. Yeah. So thankfully, they didn't declare martial law, and I just have to deal with bangs and relearn how to do them my friend was my work friend oh my god I just called her my friend yay she was flying out of O'Hare on Friday and I was like I mean I know that they're working without pay but today's mm-hmm. the first day they got a pay stub that said zero dollars so mm. I think it's gonna be like a whole new scene over there yeah I can only imagine jeez I reorganized my bookshelves can I talk you through them please do they look lovely so this is my fiction shelf nice on the top it is classic oh okay organized by post and pre-war amazing I love it and then I just kind of went through with a vibe mm-hmm. within that so mm-hmm. it tends to be a little bit more punk rock mm-hmm. to the left mm-hmm. and then on the shelf below that we've got some genre overflow but mm-hmm. we also have contemporary works yeah and then below that we have fantasy and mm-hmm. science fiction mm-hmm. and speculative mm-hmm. and mystery and plays and then below that we've got more fantasy mm-hmm. horror and then romance 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 that reminds me we have to read possession and all those other ones god those are some freaking great ripping of bodices there yeah you got some good ones to cover we do okay speaking of good ones to cover shall we start should we shall (sighs) i'm morgan and i'm isabeau and this is romance a podcast about romance novels about aping Austin. About queering the canon. About short stories. About fan fiction that gets exactly. published. Yeah, exactly. Your bound copy of fan fiction <laughs> posts. And it's uh, most of all about that first thing. Romance novels. And, and ourselves. This week, as part of January, we are talking about A Certain Persuasion, which is a collection of LGBTQIA+. Plus fiction inspired by Jane Austen's novels because we originally set out to read all of these stories and they were like, wow, this is a lot. No, thank you. It's a lot of stories. Yeah. So instead we elected to read uh, just three to discuss for this podcast. Yep. I think it's a soupçon selection of what is essentially bound fanfic. I'm so curious about this project, how it came to be, what Manifold Press is. I love fan fiction, so this is weird to have a bound yeah. copy of it. But oh, I'm so I'm excited we it. basically get to talk about fan fiction again. I know. I love fanfic. This cover is really great. They did a really good job. I think this is nice. This is. It this looks is, like a work of academia. Yeah, this is why fair use is the coolest thing in the world because that painting came into common law and like everybody can use it and it looks really really great yeah it looks very uh jane austen it does it looks very austen-esque and mm. indeed these books are all are these stories rather are all austen-esque mm. the first one in here that i did read charming marine prospect by lou faulkner mm-hmm. is a queering of persuasion so don't worry we're not going to talk about it that much but the initial the first story the setting is the same as the book and I would say the language is meant to be very evocative mm-hmm. of what you would read in an Austin novel and it does a pretty good job of you know I don't know if we could ever go back like I don't think there will ever be another Austin just because that voice it's so impossible to recreate that leveled often imitated never repeated still waters run deep 
And the thing about it is, is like it's so effing earnest and you can only read it as earnest, but also full of satire. And like if you try to ape it too carefully, it just comes off as like ridiculous. Truly. Truly. But the first story we're going to talk about is not doing that at all. No, not at all, frankly. So this story is called The Wind Over Pemberley by Faye McLaughlin. Mm-hmm. I'll summarize this one because okay. I've already started. This is a contemporary work. So it's set in the present day. Gay school teacher who's been made redundant goes to Pemberley Cliff all the time. And he meets another man who is equally enthusiastic about Jane Austen's works. And they start... A Jane Austen book club of two. They call themselves the Bench Book Club, I mm-hmm. think. The BCC. The BBC. The BBC. Ha ha ha. And they progress into a relationship through the course of their discussions. We find out that this mysterious man who is named Lint. His real name is Simon. His real name is Simon, but he got the nickname Lint because he picked up lots of bits of fluff, which it means he has a lot of dalliances with men, apparently. Yep. And uh, love those Britishisms. Our our narrator, our hero, he's never been with a man before. In fact, he's married to a woman, but they have an agreement and she has a boyfriend and everything. It was just convenient for them to get married and they're friends and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the book, we see them making out in a car just and very giving erratic. each other hand jobs. Mm-hmm. And then... <laughs> One day, one Tuesday, our hero returns to the cliff to discover that his lover has fallen over the edge of the cliff. Fallen? We don't know. The book doesn't tell us, but his life is forever changed and he resolves to come out of the closet. And that's where the story ends. It's a really good summary, frankly. The summary was almost as long as the story itself. Yeah, it's it's a a very short little... Brief. It's a little spree. Indeed. It is a mad dash to that finish. Which was... um, I was reading it on my lunch break. I was sitting in like a food court basically (laughs) and I just started I was not expecting it yeah and the ending is so truly truly earnest like just very serious and I was like there's no way he actually fell or jumped off the cliff that's not the ending that is the ending that is the ending the helicopter comes (laughs) <laughs> to retrieve the body from Pemberley Cliff. Oh, our main character's name is Darcy. At the beginning of the story, I didn't know that our narrator was a man and he introduces himself and he says, I'm Darcy. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, what's an unusual name? And my initial reaction was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually fairly common now. Yeah, my biggest problem with this story is that in the grand tradition of queer relationships depicted, somebody has to die. And I was like, that seems <laughs> real unnecessary. Yeah, it was so strange. It was such a choice. Such a choice. But you know what? It's so hard to end a story. Sure. Sometimes you should just kill someone. But like, if you're gonna like aping Austin or like, this one isn't, but like, I don't know. I was anticipating a happily ever after. I was too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's part of the reason I was shocked. Yeah, but also it's just like, I don't know, it seems like the easiest thing in the world to have a beautiful blossoming gay relationship that can't be and the thing that it can't be is because one of them tragically dies but there's also like weird language stuff like the narrator introduces himself he says I was English so I politely replied I was like is he not English anymore (laughs) I also marked that in my text where it's like, 
Are, where are we now? Where are we? What's going on? Are we suddenly Australian? Also, Alpha Romeos is spelled A-L-F-A. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if they meant to say Alpha like A-L-P-H-A. Yep. Is that a thing in England? I have absolutely no idea. I don't know either. Also, in their book club, their first book club, they're talking about Sense and Sensibility. Mm-hmm. He's an English teacher, by the way. Mm-hmm. Teaching um, Austin. Teaching Austin. And he's like, I knew we both understood the text backwards and forwards, but it was a book club after all. So I started with the question, so what's the novel about? And then the guy responds with a summary of the novel. I just want to assure people that when you're asked what's the novel about as an adult, you don't provide a summary. That's right. (laughs) Also, the idea that Sense and Sensibility, like it was her first published work, but it wasn't the first one that Jane Austen wrote. So that's kind of a misnomer. Anachronism, is that right? And then the way that they talked about it not being her best because it's the one in which she is like the most unsure of herself. I'm like, it's a bold statement about (laughs) Sense and Sensibility when Sense and Sensibility is ranked in the top three in almost every single list of Jane Austen rankings. So it was like bold slash wrong. Pause to let the dog get comfortable. We are recording in my apartment tonight, which is very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Hope we've got the bells. The bells, bells, oh, bells And now Vesper is licking her genitals <laughs> right on cue. That's all we need. The ambiance. The ambiance. <laughs> Corduroy, would you like to throw something up and just put it all together? Speaking of throwing something up, mm-hmm. there's a line in the sex scene. So the sex scene is they are giving each other hand jobs under a blanket in the backseat of a car, which felt very teenage. Very teen. I also love that this blanket ostensibly matches this 1970s thermos that he's brought full of rum to their book club. Yeah. Like all of it. It's like, I didn't know where we were in time, which was an interesting way to play with this. And also like this space of like this lonely cliff top called Pemberley. It was just like, there's a lot of atmosphere working here. Yeah. Like, but there is weird stuff where he gets out his thermos and everything and his friend is like, oh, do you not have a blanket for our knees? Mm-hmm. It's like a joke. And the guy was like, then reflects on how old fashioned he is. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not that old fashioned. It's fucking cold here. Yeah. Like, what does this have to do with the fact that you don't like big TVs. Oh, yeah. The thing about a five foot wall TV. I was like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't like five foot wall TVs. I was like, nobody does, Montag. Wow, you're such a Luddite. <laughs> you're so connected with the fucking past. Get ready. He is performing a handy mm-hmm. on Lint. Oh, that feels good. Lint gasped. Beat it. A. <laughs> Michael Jackson. <laughs> and it never comes <laughs> That's their dialogue exchange. Oh my god, the dialogue is such a thing in this, though. There's also a point where um, Lint draws a masturbating hand on the condensed window, and our narrator Darcy thinks after he's learned of the death of Lint that he doesn't want to get back into the car and see it when the windows are all fogged up. That is the only thing he has to remove this guy by is a whacking hand on his car. <laughs> Yeah, tragic comic. I don't even know. Like, how do we read this ending? Yeah, exactly. How are we meant to read this ending? Well, I definitely took it as tragic comic, but I don't know if that was the writer's intention. Like, there's nothing else in the text that would make me think that that was the case. Yeah, everything else is so deeply earnest. The idea that Lind is like, "Have you ever had a boyfriend before? I want to be your lover. What's your deal with Evelyn, your wife? Like, what's up with your parents? It's like a lot of stuff and the only thing that's played for laughs other than Lint's nickname is 
his lint's clothes. And the beat it. Yeah, which is just... Can you imagine? No. I would immediately be like, we're never speaking again. Release the penis <laughs> from my hand. Which is immediately limp. Thank you very much. <laughs> you just killed it. It's dead. Beat it. it. What? <laughs> Michael Repeat Jackson. yourself. Hold on. I want to read the whole because read the this whole is thing. how it flows. Let's go back. Lit murmured contented noises and sat back. Breathless, I sat back with him for a minute until I tugged off his blanket to expose him. Then I turned my face to him, draped my leg over his lap, and moved my hand in time to a tune in my head. Oh, that feels good, Lent gasped. Beat it. A. Michael Jackson. Hilarious. For a long moment, the rain's tinkling, the wind's wooing, and Lint's moans were the only noise. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> so this is like a thing that He's just quietly humming beat it to himself <laughs> yeah, and, and like doing the time That, that is what I like That is what I like You stumbled upon my strange kink The exact rhythm of my heart And it's Beat It by Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson Yeah, what do we make of this? I mean, come on That end really just If Beat It didn't kill my boner for this That ending certainly did Yeah, it's so funny And it reads exactly like fan fiction Exactly, but like fan fiction where I'm like Oh, you only get four of my stars Or like, you know, in my note I'm not gonna flame you But I'm gonna be like You might wanna rethink about like Playing into damaging tropes About queer people always ending in tragedy Flaming, for those of you who don't know <laughs> It's where you go into the comment section of a fanfic and you provide feedback that is mostly mean, but is also a great way to express your own intelligence. And sometimes there's some really good flames. There are some um, really good flames. That demonstrate a great deal of wit and also Humor. good criticism. Indeed. I always love the fanfictions that say, comments welcome, please no flames. <laughs> comments welcome, please no flames. Do you think people who write that in their bio or their about section of their fic, do you think they have more likely been flamed previously like they've been through flaming or they've just seen it happen and are frankly terrified that it'll happen to them I think for sure it's the latter like if you've been flamed like if you've been through that crucible or that gauntlet you're like bring it motherfucking on been there done that oh my god it's uh, not as good as the fanfics that we read for our fanfiction episode that's the thing about fanfic there's a lot of shit out there there's a lot of shit out there but this should be reassuring this got published sure did like in an anthology in an anthology you can put this on a resume you can show this to your mom yeah you can get this for your mom yeah and be like i'm in this so yeah. that's pretty cool that is cool our next story is eleanor and ada by julie boza which, by the way, is a sweet-ass last name. Eleanor and Ada is simply a shortened, condensed version of Sense and Sensibility, wherein Edward Ferris has been turned into Ada Ferris. And every beat is basically the same after that. Yeah, that's it, exactly. What inspired your story in a certain persuasion? May we have an excerpt. I knew that I wanted to set 13 hours in Austin modern times, and that I wanted to write about a fictional Austin museum at night. What? Yeah, she has 13 hours in Austin. She likes to drink Jack Daniels. Hmm. And that's what we have to say about, about that. that. <laughs> <laughs> there was a person I used to work with who loved Jack Daniels and also insisted after she got a gizmo tattoo, the gremlin, yeah. to be called gizmo. Like she wanted to appropriate her own nickname. She wanted it to be gizmo. And all of us were like, 
that's never going to happen. <laughs> like, you got that tattoo and you want us to call you that, but, like, that's not what we're going to call you. What if she, like, wanted to be called Gizmo and it had nothing to do with gremlins, mm-hmm. but she was like, what is going to be the most legible symbol that indicates Gizmo? And she was like, well, I can't have, like, a little gadget on me because mm-hmm. what if I end up being called Gadget? No. <laughs> I mean, Gadget, I think, maybe would have been better. But. Or, or Gears. <laughs> Or laser pointer. And so she's like, you know what? I don't even like the gremlins, but I'm going to have to get Gizmo the It's a full on from ankle to the back of the knee, full on calf tattoo. Calf feels like a weird place to put Gizmo also. Like a big, long Gizmo. It's like life size, essentially. It feels like it would have to wrap around her entire leg because Gizmo is such a squat creature. Yeah, I mean... He's it, basically an orb. Yeah, and she got the full, <laughs> like, ten and a half inch orb creature attached to her cat. Does it wrap around her leg? The ears certainly do. And no one calls her Gizmo. Literally no one. Best laid plants, nice of men. You know what I mean? I do know what it's you It's exactly mean. like the rabbit. It's exactly like it. It's exactly like it. Oh, God. Okay, so Eleanor and Ada by Julie Boza, is essentially Sense and Sensibility, wherein Ada is Edward Ferris, and all the beats are the same. Uh, Lucy Steele shows up to break Eleanor's heart repeatedly, and the whole thing versus like running away with Edward is running away with Ada, who doesn't take the curacy that Colonel Brandon offers, but rather the local village school. Yeah. Colonel Brandon remains the best hero in that story and everybody else is like exactly the same which is weird and like this is one of those things where it's like I don't know did it work did it not what worked about it what happens when you just change the sexual orientation of one of the main characters and the sex of yeah and the the sex of another one does like does that do anything does it I want to point out that this story had some really good summations Mm -hmm. and could basically be a cliff's notes yeah uh, for sense and sensibility should you be trying to dodge some schoolwork can't go wrong here really good summation also like real actual dialogue pulls yeah that was also interesting i thought so too it felt almost like you know whenever we kind of frame it this way this one almost feels like a concept you know like Mm. a like an experiment almost Mm -hmm. something you would do in an mfa you know just to see what happened Sure, something that you do in a BFA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like something you do in a BFA just to see what happens Mm -hmm. and kind of make a statement via just the act of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, she did have to make some amendments. Like they obviously can't get married. Mm -hmm. But there is stuff like her mom is still really like... Shitty and controlling. Shitty and controlling, but also like insistent on the relationship between Ada and Eleanor in a way. Oh, yeah. Like everyone's cool with it. And they're not even using like the euphemisms of the day. Um, they do say that they were going to live together like ladies of Lalogan or whatever. Lalogan or something. Mm-hmm. I think that's a reference to a pretty famous a historical account of something that happened in Ireland. I guess they couldn't call it a Bostonian marriage as that would have been the wrong side of the pond. Also wrong era, right? Mm-hmm. So there is that one but you're right it's played straight it's played straight which i think is interesting i think like as a project i mean it makes a clear statement i don't know if it's an interesting statement yeah and like you know that felt true to marianne it felt less true of mrs dashwood who you know is very much concerned with whether or not everyone's going to be able to eat and so like the stakes of this 
changed dramatically, but like it wasn't interested in the actual stakes of what would have been the time. Like the fact that yeah. Ada is a governess rather than a woman of leisure is a change that happened when it's like Edward just like plots around and is like, burr, burr, burr. Ada has to work for herself. And it's yeah. like, that wouldn't have been true if she was really the daughter of the house. And the way that this author fixes that is that she's a niece rather than a daughter. Yeah. And everyone talks about how terrible her aunt is for not allowing mm-hmm. her to be a lady of leisure. Mm-hmm. Lucy Steele is still terrible. Mrs. Jennings is still great. Lucy Steele. What an annoying character. Oh, literally the worst. Just though. one of the best villains. Agreed. I really like her as a villain. She's so like her insipidity hides such a cunning and like that's such a good way of doing it. Every time she just like freaks me out. Yeah. Because she's so good at it. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, what? Yeah. Yeah. God, Lucy Steele. Lucy in any, Steele. Lucy Steele holds up in pretty much any framework. It's true. And I think like part of it is because we all understand people and the way in which that kind of femininity is discounted and then like rendered inert or like safe and then yes. clearly it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It feels almost like gaslighting. Yes. You know, if you understand the way that like women work yes. as another woman and yes. you can spend a lot of time being like, is no one else freaking out about yes. this person? Yes. She's obviously, yeah. Yeah. Oh, fucking Lucy Steele. And she just tortures Eleanor for four fucking months in Barton. Just ridiculous. It's not cool. Fuck you, Lucy. The thing that I did really, really enjoy about this change is that the thing that Lucy's holding over Ada, which can't be an engagement and therefore a broken engagement, is these letters. And at first I was like, oh shit, they're explicit letters. And no, it turns out that they were engaged in like an explicit novel writing campaign that had queer characters, a la Miss Radcliffe, who was a famous romance novelist of the day. And like, I was a little disappointed that, you know, Ada hadn't been induced to write explicit epistles of love and like that was the thing that Lucy was holding over her but instead it's like this fictitious thing that they have which I thought was too bad but still shitty of her to hold on to and like blackmail her with. Yeah Lucy's still shitty but I agree I think that would have been an interesting way to take because I think something that you know if you're writing fan fiction you might as well add in the like hot sex parts that aren't in Austin. Yeah yeah. But that's not this project right this project is pretty straightforward and like the only real changes that happen are to shore up narrative issues that arise whenever you change these aspects of the characters. Why do you think she chose to make Ada a governess instead of just making her a lady of leisure? Like why not just be really straightforward? I think like that was an easy way for her to then have an intimate relationship with Lucy Mm. and like to have a lady of leisure then have an intimate relationship with someone so far below her in class would have been a hard plot point to like gather. Oh yeah. like governess is easy to do plus it immediately puts her in a place of precarity uh-huh. Gotta sing for her bread in a similar way that Eleanor and Marianne do. I thought Willoughby was treated with a strange amount of finesse and kind understanding, which I was like, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. You choice. know what? I think we kind of discovered this when yeah. we were talking about Pride, and that is the villains of Austin. There's always something going on. They're not the bad, bad, bads that first blush would have us believe. Mm-hmm. I do think these revisitations of Austin, these new encounters with Austin really illuminate that fact. For sure. That like everyone's in this like really precarious position in terms of like wealth position and everything else. Whereas like if you watch the movie with Emma Thompson Emma Thompson and Alan Rick 
Hickman and mm. Kate Winslet. Willoughby's just like a piece of trash. Except at the end when he comes riding on his horse to see that Marianne's married Colonel Brandon and you know that he's never going to be as happy as he could have been. Yeah. Also that actor married Emma Thompson in real life after her heartbreak with uh, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, the heartbreak being discovering that Kenneth Branagh was sleeping with men. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh. <laughs> but maybe also men? I don't know. <laughs> they had a fiery romance after um, Much Do About Nothing. Well, yeah, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> one. Uh, this one, the final short story that we read was way more in line with what I expected from these novels. Me too. Uh, these short stories. Will you do the summary? Sure. So this, I think, is also the most fan ficky straight ones that we have called A Particular Friend by J.L. Murrow. And it takes place about 10 years after the events of Mansfield Park. And it operates around Susan Price rather than Fanny, Fanny's younger sister who comes into Mansfield Park at the very end. And she meets Mary Crawford, who fans of Mansfield Park will know was like the bad woman who tried to have a relationship with Edmund. Here she is 10 years later, meets up with Susan Price and she's a widow. She got two kids and her worldly sense of humor is intact and she has a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's get physical yeah. sort of come on with Miss Susan Price. They kiss. Mm-hmm. And uh, this story does that thing where it does try to kind of hew to the Austin voice. Mm-hmm. And so sexy stuff happens but in the Austin voice which kind of makes it very close to like you said pretty straightforward fanfic type stuff. Yeah. I thought of the three that we read for this podcast this one kept Austin's voice most humorous and most earnestly sensitive without like falling into melodrama. Yeah exactly. Exactly. It did the best job, but it also did add some sexy bits. Mm -hmm. How should we talk about the sexiest part? Of this one? Of all three stories. Oh, sexiest part for me, other than the Michael Jackson beat it, was that scene in the car. Like there was a lot of really beautiful angsty buildup and like questioning that I loved. And like also when he's coming back to the Pemberley Cliff for their meeting, he's like, we are super going to bang against the bench. And like he's just imagining in it. And it's just it's really lovely. I thought like that like corporeal sense of anticipation was really well wrought. Yeah, I just did not find that story sexy (laughs) but I did think the first kiss in this last story Mm -hmm. a particular friend was the sexiest part that I read yeah yeah so that was the sexiest part for me and I thought it was really well executed in a way that like it was still Austin-y while still giving us the juice giving us that squeeze yeah and I think like that's the power of this writer but also Mary Crawford was a lot of fun to be around in ways that like Fanny's kind of a drip and I read the (laughs) author's note and I was gratified to see that she agreed with me. Edmund is also a drip. Also, the fact that their cousins suck. I don't believe the Crawfords are as bad as Jane Austen would have us believe. I think Mansfield Park is her treatise on being prudish and priggish. And that's why it's one of the less interesting works for me. But this fanfic really saved it. Yeah. it like rescued all the pieces that are most interesting. Exactly. It was the best that fanfiction can be. Yeah. Which in that it takes its object and makes it better. Yeah. Like it recognizes like these are the best parts. Let's not bother with the rest and let's also talk about bosoms pressing together yeah in ways that are like both sensitive and dainty and like yeah warm yeah. I felt warm reading this story yeah it was lovely I want to learn more about Bath I want to talk to you about Bath when we do persuasion I learned some things that I think might be of interest to you cool Bath Fox coming Both at Box. you um, uh, weirdest part <laughs> 
fucking cliff jump slash yeah, fall. For sure. But one thing that like surprised me is all the really different ways that authors approached this story. Mm-hmm. And I think I mean that weird is in like the positivist version of weird. Mm-hmm. It was surprising and engaging and I didn't know what was going to come next. Yeah. I'm glad that this project exists. I'm glad that we did it for the podcast. You know, I'm not sure that this would be a romance, but you know, if you love Jane Austen, this is a worthwhile collection to add to your library. Yeah, because it just, you know, it's like fan fiction. It gives you more of what you like. And potentially more reasons to read the original. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I I would say this is a nomance for me, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. You should still, if you're very, very, very into Austin, this I would say should absolutely be in your collection. I will definitely say this is better than the Jane Austen book club, which is a trash fire. Wow. Did you read Austin Land? I did. And I saw the movie with Carrie Russell, which I I also love. The movie. What'd you think of that book? I liked it better than the Jane Austen book club, which again is a pile of gaping bullshit. But I mean, yeah, I liked it. It's not my favorite, but it's good and I fucking love that movie love that movie that movie is just so fucking delightful it is very good I love the guy from Flight of the Concords is mm-hmm. the villain mm-hmm. that's hilarious mm-hmm. to me he's so dainty and I love the Darcy character mm-hmm. and I love the costumes and the sets mm-hmm. they're all wonderful I do love Austin Land it's a part of me it's a part of who I am that I don't address very often but I should I think it's worthwhile I would definitely watch that with you well, okay I have it on my Kindle, actually. Amazing. I own it. I own that movie. I'm surprised I don't own that movie. So many, like, little funny parts, like the travel agent. Oh, my God. It is, like, that movie is so quippy without ever getting on my nerves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's treacle, It's but not treacly. Yeah, and that's amazing, where it's, like, you can have a movie of one-liners without, like, it ever getting on your nerves. That's quite a feat. Yeah, yeah. Austin Land is just wonderful. Let's talk about other Austin ad. <laughs> Like Obviously, inspired by Austin work. We talked about Clueless. The BBC just put out a ton of adaptations like yeah. five years ago. Yeah. And Daniel Stevens, who played, what's his name from Downton Abbey? Matthew plays Edward Ferris. And his Edward Ferris is really good, but I don't think better than Hugh Grant's. Alan Rickman is obviously our once and future Colonel Brandon. Of course. And he's actually who this collection is dedicated to. Which is kind of a bold choice. Yeah. The Jane Austen Book Club has both a book and a movie. The movie has Emily Blunt in it. And Hugh Dancy, right? Yeah. Hugh Dancy. Uh, what about a- Miss Austen Regrets? Miss Austen Regrets is fine. I also like Becoming Jane. That's the one I was trying to think of. Ah, I mean, James McAvoy. I could fall into that dude's face. I'm a Hatha hater. I don't like Anne Hathaway. I think that's fine. She's kind of annoying. Corduroy disagrees with me on this. I think a lot of people do. Like, you fall two ways on that Hathometer. The Hathometer. Yeah, sure. It's like she's doing an impersonation of a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Not unlike Gwyneth Paltrow and Emma. Exactly. She's so theater girl. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, definitely that. I can't deal. I can't deal. But James McAvoy really saves it, I think. He's a treasure. He's such a treasure. I might go see that Glass movie. I'm definitely going to see that Glass movie because he's in it. He's in it, yeah. Yeah. What if it's like the best? That would be weird. I've been reading a lot of strange hype about it. You know, but like uh, that movie, what was it called, the one he was in? I did like it. Mm -hmm. It was good. The M. Night Shyamalan. Mm -hmm. Shyamalama ding ding. I love the village. That's true. Did you like Lady in the Water? Is that no, what it's called? It's terrible. My parents like it. Sorry, mom and dad. 
bad. You know how I feel about your tastes. I wanted to like it. I own it. I got it in the $3 bin. It's always weird when I like find the $3 bin for like DVDs or worse yet, Blu-rays. And I'm like, this costs more than that to make. (laughs) So sad. But there are a lot of Austin adaptations. There have been adaptations since the 1930s. Uh, Laurence Olivier is a famous Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I'm thinking about those like stuff like Austin Land, which is inspired Mm -hmm. by Austin, but Mm -hmm. is not Austin. The Darcy Diaries was a YouTube series that was very popular in the late aughts. What was that about? It was a modernization of Pride and Prejudice that younged everybody down to college. Cool. I heard about them when I went to the Harry Potter Con. Leaky Leaky Con. Con. In 2012. Their Darcy was very good. I think there's a lot to be said for putting Darcy in the college years. The Darcy always works because the Darcy is... You're right. The manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, it's just screen. It's great. With just enough information to make us feel special. Which is all you really want. (laughs) All you want. Oh, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've got a Patreon now. So if you want to chip in a couple bucks, reimburse Isabeau for buying a certain persuasion so that she can go forth and buy something else. And share it with all of you. Yeah. If you like what we do, help us out. Yeah. Pay it forward. If you don't mind, if you would be so kind. If you'd be so kind. And with that, loosen your stakes. But never your principles. Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week. <laughs>